Well, I read a really interesting article this week um, and it was exploring how humans, or more specifically our brains, deal with complexity. It began by likening us to ants, that which ants will pick something up and if they find a bigger bit of food, they'll drop it and pick that up and take it back to the colony, who are very simple in their nature. Now, I was a little offended by this and thought it might be time for me to put down the article, but I kept reading. It argued that overwhelmingly, humans, we like to find simple solutions. Our brains will use tried and true ways, the familiar, to interpret our surroundings and to solve problems. Often, our brains will filter out all of the complexities for which we've not previously found a solution. This isn't to say that we are dumb or we are lazy, It's just that our senses are constantly bombarded with data, more than our brains can actually process in any given moment. And so they filter out unknown. They filter out complex, extracting those familiar things so that we can make sense of our surroundings. All this to say we are naturally inclined towards dealing with complexity by removing or denying it. We favour simplicity over complexity. And I don't blame our brains for doing this. It sounds like a much easier way to deal with things, otherwise we might all be rocking in the corner. All this to say... Oh, I just read that already. See? It's trying to go back to what's familiar. Simplicity is a virtue so long as the world around us behaves in the way that we expect it to. And you might be thinking, well, Kat... Thanks for filling us in on your weekly reading, but what does it have to do with today's sermon on light? Well, today we look at the image of light in the Old Testament, and our brains, which crave this simplicity, would love light to represent one thing, one clear thing, and we can block out all the other stuff. But in fact, in the Old Testament, it's a little more complex. Light can have multiple meanings and connotations. But amidst all of that complexity, we find a bit of an alignment between those images and meanings. So here are some of the main things that light can represent in the Old Testament. Light can be a symbol of God's word, wisdom and guidance. Light is often presented as the opposite to darkness, something which illuminates darkness Light can represent the presence of God in the world. It can represent goodness and purity and God's revelation. So it can be important for us as we read about light in Scripture in the Old Testament, either because we see the word light or we see light described through imagery, to look at the context surrounding what we're reading to understand which of those meanings, or maybe possibly which of the many meanings, it might hold. Today we're going to look at a specific passage. We're going to look at the image of light in Isaiah chapter 9, which is looking at light as an illuminator that drives out darkness. Now the prophet Isaiah is living in Jerusalem and Judea in the second half of the kingdom periods. That's when the kings reigned. 
And the second half, it's kind of getting progressively worse as the kings go on. And he speaks to the leaders of Jerusalem with a two-part message. You've got one of judgment, that the kingdom's going to fall uh, to the surrounding empires because how they have strayed from God, from a relationship with God and from God's plan and the covenantal promises that they have between one another. But Isaiah also speaks of hope. The hope that God was true to the covenant promises, even if they wandered, and would bring a Messiah from the line of David to save God's people and then fold all of humanity into God's family. And so today we find ourselves in a part of Isaiah's message that is based around that hope. In the opening of chapter 9, as Declan so beautifully read to us, Isaiah says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Often when we read scripture... These opening verses at the start of a chapter are the bits we skim past to get to that good meaty stuff, the teaching or the main teaching. But what we find in this opening verse is that the prophet Isaiah is very specifically naming a region that is entrenched in gloom and entrenched in suffering, caught up in darkness The prophet points to the tribal lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, a region that's annexed by Assyria, and says right now for him, which is about 750 BC, they're in darkness, but a light is going to come in the future. God will come and honour that land of Galilee. And he talks about how the land's metaphorical darkness will be driven out by the light. And so what do we find then in the New Testament? Well, we find the fulfilment of this. In Matthew 4, it speaks of the beginning of Jesus' preaching career, and it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, where did he go? He withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth. He went and he lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfil what had been said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadows of death, a light has dawned. And so who is the light? What is the light? It's one of those classic uh, Sunday school questions. What's the answer? The answer is always Jesus. It's Jesus. (laughs) The one who in John's gospel, just as Judy read to us today, proclaimed that he was the light of the world. A little bit later on in John from uh, what Judy read to us, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. It's so wonderful that the prophecy was fulfilled, that light in the form of God as a person, in the form of Jesus' deliverance and hope, came to this region. But we also know that by human standards, it was a long, long time before Jesus showed up. So between Isaiah uh, speaking of this light and Jesus showing up. It's about 745 BC when Isaiah is prophesying and then it's about 800 years later that Jesus, the light, shows up in a way that is present, tangible and apparent to them. Many of these ancient Israelites would have been having a mighty hard time seeing God's goodness, seeing God's light in those 800 years. Imagine that waiting. I wonder if you ever feel that way. I know that sometimes I do. I can feel overwhelmed by darkness. I can feel distressed and unable to see much light. Unable to comprehend sometimes how my given situation or when I watch the news and see the state of the world, unable to comprehend just how Jesus is going to transform it, is going to bring in the light. Do you ever experience these feelings or these moments? I don't think it's a lack of faith or acknowledging God. Because we know, sometimes at an intellectual level, that we have God with us and the light of God. But what happens when we just can't grasp it? In an article that I read a couple of years ago, actually during one of the lockdowns, when I, like many people, was experiencing darkness and isolation... I read a scientific article of all things from, a, from Kimberly Ackland, who was a visualisation expert working in astrology, astronomy, sorry, not astrology, <laughs> and space science. And she talked about light. And she writes, the light that we can see with our eyes is actually just a small fraction of all the light that exists around us. If the full range of light were a piano keyboard, the visible light would just be those couple of keys around middle C. But there is this vast spectrum of invisible light forms on either side. This spectrum is known as the electromagnetic spectrum, and that's where I switched off and went back to the keyboard. That was helpful for me. And extends beyond these middle keys from radio waves at one end of the spectrum to gamma rays at the other. We know that we use and we interact with all of these types of light, both the visible and invisible in our everyday lives. But our ability to see them relies on that one key property, the wavelength. I think that the light of Jesus is similar. It's there, it's present, and we are interacting with it and using it and immersed in Jesus' light at all times. But sometimes we are just around middle C. We can't quite see it. 
We can use things like spiritual discernment, prayer, reading our scripture, the guidance of friends and a mentor to get beyond that middle C. But there's part of it that is just yet to come, the now and not yet, keys that we will never play on this plane. Sometimes we can't see the light of Jesus because we are wearing blindfolds of darkness. We are distracted and we are burdened by the darkness of this world. But to be people of light is to sometimes push past that. To live in a hope that there is light here and now, but there is also that light coming in all that more fullness, all those keys that we get to play in the future. So what does it mean for us to be people on whom the light has dawned? In Ephesians 5, it tells us, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, all righteousness and all truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. To live in the light of the Lord, to bask in the life-giving light of Jesus, means we must be children of the light. In doing so, we must demonstrate the fruits of light, that is goodness, righteousness and truth. In our daily lives, whatever we're doing, seeking God's life means actively pursuing his wisdom, insights and understanding. It means aligning our thoughts and actions and our intentions with what is good and pleasing to God. Walking in God's light allows us to make choices that are rooted in truth and righteousness. It enables us to experience the fullness of God's blessings and the transformation of our hearts as we expect it, but also often and most of the time as we can't comprehend If there's one thing I'd love to leave you with today because we were in a prophetic book of the Old Testament, it's that those prophetic books, they do two things as we spoke about at the start. They speak of a future hope that this day we might be in darkness but that will cease to exist. There will be a time of only light. But the prophetic books also live in the here and now and they say because of that hope, because of that light that we're going to experience and experience in some degree today, you are to call out the brokenness just as those prophetic books do. They call out the brokenness and the hypocrisy and the darkness in ancient Israel. So being people of the light means that we are also to denounce the things of darkness, the things that are fruitless and bring God no joy. We are to denounce and expose evil, wickedness, injustice, selfishness and dishonesty in our world. It is about repentance, which isn't the most popular word anymore, but a repentance both individually but also collectively. 
that we would turn away from darkness and reorientate ourselves towards things of light, towards Jesus. So while Ephesians tells us to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, that means not allowing darkness and injustice of our world to also shape us as people. It doesn't tell us, however, to be afraid of the darkness. Often we uh, put Jesus and the goodness of Jesus and God as if it's on some equal playing field to evil, and it is not. We are children of the light, children of a God who is so much more powerful than any evil, than any darkness. The darkness that we can see, the darkness that we are tangled up in, does not define our lives and does not define us. The light does. Jesus does. Darkness and evil do not have any power compared to the light of God. Jesus is the almighty light and does not cower at the darkness. Jesus breaks through. So rather than denying darkness, rather than denying evil, running from it, we are called to see it and to expose it to the light of God. In fact, we often see in the darkest and most depraved parts of our world, the light of God shines the brightest. It's the same as if I was to light a candle right here, right now, with the sunlight streaming through and the lights on it, it would be nice, but the impact in the light is not as profound as if I were to light that in a pitch black room. There's a quote that I love from Brene Brown, who is a faithful Christian herself, and she says, the darkness does not destroy the light, it defines it. It's our fear of darkness that casts our joys into the shadows. Now, I would put a gospel spin on that and say, sin and darkness is never going to destroy Jesus. If anything, they make Jesus shine brighter. They make Jesus stand out more. They show that Jesus is different, that Jesus is countercultural, and that Jesus is transforming and freeing us from the darkness. It is not evil that defeats our ability to be children of the light, but our fear of evil and darkness that casts shadows and doubts onto the power of Christ. So don't get frozen by all the darkness you see. Live in the light. To put that in simple terms, rather than all these big metaphorical ones that we've been speaking in throughout this series and the sermon today, it's that we're inevitably going to experience times and situations of intense brokenness, evil and darkness in our lives. And we can often feel very overwhelmed and fearful and our responses can be that way. They can make us immobile. We may even respond poorly. Or... We might become so overwhelmed by how bad it is that we doubt God's ability to make any transformational change. In that situation, I encourage you that God is bigger 
the light of Jesus is brighter and that the darkness will not overcome you. As we go into our worlds, we're all going to experience unique and individual ways that we experience the challenge of evil and darkness. We might experience it in worry this week, in busyness, in relational pain, in division, in war, as we see so often on our TVs, disaster and profound health issues. But as you enter these spaces, as you wrestle with this, I encourage you to ask yourself, God, how can I be a child of light? How can I be a person of light? Whether you're in darkness today, just like the people of Zebulun and Naphtali in the time of Isaiah, or whether you're actually feeling like you're in this light, open space, like the people of Galilee when Jesus was standing right before them. I want you to ask Jesus today to take his light to light your candle so that you would illuminate this world around us, being a child that shines Jesus' light into our world. I'm going to invite us to pray together now. We're going to pray the prayer of Francis of Assisi. I'm going to put the words up on the screen. As we pray, if there is an attribute of the light that you're drawn to, you can pause, you can reflect, you can use that this week to ask God what the invitation might be there in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not much seek to be controlled as to console others. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love others. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in forgiving that we are forgiven. And it is in dying that we are born into eternal life. We're going to invite the worship team up now. And we're going to sing a song about how fear actually has no hold and no power over us. The only thing that has a hold on us now is the light of Jesus Christ, given to us by his birth, death and resurrection.